sassy Little bit crazy, little bit classy We got dreams and we got goals We're just a couple of old sassholes We're doing it, yeah, hello the touchdown motion with your hands. I did it because I'm so excited. And who am I? Who are we? Who are we? That's your line. I know. Hi, everyone. I'm Brooklyn Maple, and this is a Couple of Sassles podcast. And that's where you say, and I'm Brooklyn Maple, and, and I say, and I'm Heather Terry. <laughs> and that is how we started it. Start off 2024. Right. Yeah. This is actually season three because we don't know what we're doing, so we just do seasons. Oh, so I like is that. Episode one of season three. It technically is. Well, episode should... 79, but yeah. Sorry to cut you off. That is a-okay. I was like, and one thing that I've learned now that we're on season three is to shut the fuck up when one of us is talking. That I'm helps. still working on it. <laughs> it it's not easy. Mm-mm. It's not. Hello, everyone, again. Thank you for joining us. Of course, this is our power hour of true crime, fucked up stuff, and just sometimes some unlucky situations, which yeah. is kind of what I'm talking about today. Yeah. Sometimes we have survivor stories. Sometimes we don't. What has recently happened in our lives for all those listeners who are not that concerned? (laughs) (laughs) For everyone who cares. (laughs) All five of you. All five of you who are like, I wonder what the girls have been up to. Yeah. Christmas. Yes. That was pretty. Was it? Yeah. That was very cheery. I liked it. Thanks. I'm very jolly still. Leftover jolly. Yes. So. I have a lot of that too. You do? Uh Uh-huh. Are you team take down Christmas decorations on the 26th? Yes or no? I mean, the only thing I have up is a tree. And I have a tree because you said I had to have one. So now I have a tree. And that is staying up because I'm not home for Christmas with Will. So I'm keeping it up. As you should. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I am very pro do whatever the fuck feels right to you. Yeah. For us, my parents used to always keep it up until after New Year's. And it's so different whenever you're not the one having to do it all. Like when it's you and you, you know, Travis and I decorate very heavily on the inside and the outside is a ton of fucking effort. And so if the next day you wake up and you're like, I'm here and I can do it, it's getting done. Yeah. So I'm, we're pretty much team. Take it the fuck down whenever it feels right. Yeah. And you have the free time. That's how I am pretty much about anything. Whatever feels right, that's fine. Exactly. It's probably not going to affect me. Keep it up all year round. I don't give a fuck. I really I don't, don't. I don't either. I'm not that invested in my own tree, let alone yours. Even right. though, like, your house looked very pretty. Thank did you. Becky Christmas. It was awesome. I made a butter candle. What was your... <gasps> oh, okay. Pause on the butter candle because we do have to come back to that. Actually, let's start with that. Okay. Heather made a butter candle, I and did. I've never been more impressed or sexually turned on by her in my entire <laughs> life. I was like, I have created this. I felt oh, like there was go. a part of me that had created this version of Heather as and, she rolls her eyes, and she knows it's true. And we're back. And yep. we're back. Well, one of my friends would make a joke and say, you domesticated me. So Yeah. There's that. It's hard to take those ferocious cats outside and bring them in and turn them in house cats. Definitely feral. <laughs> I could always do that. that. I just so, don't of like to do it. But like then it. you're. But no one said, "Hey, can you make this butter candle?" She just came over and was like, "Look at this butter candle," which is something I have personally wanted to do and I've just never taken the time to do it. And it was awesome. It really added to the so, experience, and it was really delicious. Like yeah. it's not right, just regular butter. You're not over here fucking Winnie the Poohing butter. So I didn't know what this was until Kara, my uh, nail tech, told me about it, and I was like, well, I have to surprise Brooklyn with this because I like surprises. And it's a candle made out of fucking butter and a thing of bread. Like, it's like three of my favorite things. Yeah. Candles and butter and bread. Oh, my. And like garlic and other things. Because oh, yeah, that was it. a very flavor, like a flavorful butter. Any hooser. It's very butter bummed candles. that it had like, yeah. Especially and in the wintertime, that's l- where it's at. Look them up. 
Do it. Do it right now. We'll wait. Yes. All right. What was your favorite gift from me this holiday season? From you? Yeah. Oh. Uh, from you. Yeah. Oh, my purse. You got. I liked my oh. my bag. Yes. I liked all my stuff, though. You I know. did a really I, good job. We, I like to say what was the... But yeah, I think the most one I was surprised about was my Michael Kors little fanny that you got me. Or sling bag. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. I got a leopard sling bag. That was very nice. And then I tried to get her like basically a matching sock hat, which was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. I can't decide. I think the thing I've used the most is that big ass mask. The, like, oh, the red light yes. therapy mask? So I have like a lot of different red light therapy things that I was like, I'll never buy the mask because I've already purchased this under eye one and this smaller one. But like the mask is a whole different beast. It's a whole like job walkie situation. Yeah. And I knew you wouldn't buy it on your own. So I kind of went rogue. It. I went rogue. And I've did used it. it four times already. And that it's, includes when I was sick. I laid on the couch and fucking delightful. Fixed my face. Yeah. It makes Travis laugh every time he sees me. It. Yeah, it's awesome. It is great. I have a surprise for you today. I'm glad. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays. Glad All the things. All we the hope things. you had a wonderful Christmas, yes. too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, we got we had an article in the Owens World Times, a local news outlet here in Kentucky, and that was awesome. We got a lot of people reaching out to us, so we have fun things coming up. But we did get, I'm going to guess, a bot that emailed our website uh-huh. seven times. And I'm going to let you read that part of it because it's three pages. And this was in our chat box that I didn't even know we fucking had. I didn't know we had chat the, box Well, we do because they come to my email address. And I was like, oh, that's new information. Mm-hmm. But this came in seven times from what I'm guessing is a bot named Josh. Okay, are you ready to How read this? How big did you print this? Because I don't have my glasses. Do, I mean, you make fun of me for my print. Okay, ready? Oh my god, this Out is... loud. Out loud. No, you're cheating. I know. <laughs> Hello, girls slash ladies. Me and my partner slash girlfriend slash fiance slash soon-to-be wife needs your assistance slash advice slash help slash tips slash tricks slash tools slash ideas slash info slash opinions slash thoughts slash feedback <laughs> fuck slash support slash suggestions we both in our 20s as well, so around 24 slash 25 from the UK. So basically, my partner slash girlfriend has a fetish slash kink slash obsession for bellies slash belly buttons <laughs> slash tummies <laughs> slash tummy buttons. What's a tummy button? Your belly button. Slash navels slash any slash outies. See, she especially has a fetish kink obsession for my belly outie belly button, where my belly button sticks out a tiny bit on my belly. I don't know why I was born with my belly button button sticking. I don't know if it was down to a hernia or if I had a diastis recti. Where basically my abdominal wall muscle muscles abs had a gap slash separation that didn't close property properly slash fully behind my belly button at birth or if I was naturally born with an Audi belly button. I don't even know the proper naming for a belly button fetish. I don't even know how common Audis are amongst the any belly buttons. I can't. I'm, this I'm is all pass, one fucking sentence, guys. I'm gonna pass out. Oh my it's, god. Okay, so we got that. AI message and at the end also (laughs) wants to suck my belly button she also wants to bite it nibble on it playfully and she wants to kiss slash snog 
It's not my belly button. It's not my and belly. And she wants to tickle it lots and poke slash prod it with her finger slash tongue. And she wants to do whole belly farts. <laughs> what? Belly blows, belly raspberry zerberts thing all over it slash on slash it slash on. It proudly or proudly loudly. It proudly. I feel like they're proud with their mouth sealed against my belly button tight. <laughs> she wants to put creams on it. Yeah, it goes on for three pages of that. And at the end, it's like, we wish to be anonymous. Please help. And I'm like, help with what What gave you any inkling? So this, it's a bot. Like, we, Obviously. we've gotten it seven times. Thank you, AI, for the little chuckle. Snog my belly button is probably going to be the name of this. Warm regards. Could you girls do a podcast episode covering everything, including all of our questions, please? If we can stay anonymous, that would be great. That was the yeah. end. Well, Josh. <laughs> Joshy. XO11XO at Outlook. We'd love to talk to you. So, guys, here's what this episode is about belly button snogging. Licking the belly button. That grosses so me out. So, it's very so nice bad. if you use a nice Listerine. Like, I don't Ew, fucking know. Who what? knows about that? Why does she suck on his Audi? That, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Like I Dude, said, I don't know. Don't kink shame, but I ain't going anywhere near a belly I'm not against a belly button. I mean, not with my mouth. Like, no. What? But with your finger? Yeah, and just poke it? I don't, I have no feelings. I have no emotional connection to a belly button or physical attraction to said. What did they call it? A tummy button? I would put my finger in my belly button to see how fat I was. Oh, that's healthy. Because you have a really thin belly button if you're a thin person. Oh, my God. But if you're fat, you're you're going into a hole. Well, remember when the Pillsbury Doughboy came out? Yeah. Yeah, I got poked in the gut a lot as a kid. So, good thing I'm quick-witted. Motherfuckers. I'd be like, I could lose weight, but your mom's always going to be ugly. That's what I used to say. <laughs> well, that's sweet. Uh, well, they called me fat. It's called plastic surgery now. <laughs> for everyone. Right. Um, okay, so I've been out sick, which has been fun and also really annoying. And so I was like, well, let me pull my research together. And I was like, well, I don't want to do a murder. I'm a little devastated from as much murder as we've been kind of covering. So I was like, I'm going to do a survivor story. And then I thought, you know what wouldn't be a long episode that should be easy? A super complex cave fucking survivor story. Yeah. Why? In another country <laughs> with over 10,000 people involved. Like, it's so dumb of me. Like, I will say whenever I was going into it, I was like, oh, this will be fine. And then as I did it, I was like, Heather, I think you're going to have to be bumped to the next episode because this bitch is heavy. <laughs> I got a lot of my information from Mental Floss and then also Wikipedia. This was super popular. It happened in 2018. Tons of information about it. I'm hoping I'm covering everything that I can cover. But at the end of the day... Y'all, we, we have found out through our research, y'all don't like episodes longer than an hour. So mama's going to hustle. Yeah. I'm going to get on my fucking stationary bike and I'm going to... And I'm going to get there. Even, I didn't even bring my notes in here. I feel so naughty. I just Noticey. sit here. And yeah. I don't remember this story. I like how you gave me that paperback so I would have something. Thank you. And then you can feel like there's something happening. Yeah. Okay. Now I feel official um, again. But I think you took my pen. No, oh, I, I pen. totally did. Huh? Oh, this is mine? If you took it from my office, I only have three of these. Why would I go... Okay. Because you literally take pens from my office. Why would I do that? Because you've done it before, bitch. <laughs> okay. So this is the Thailand cave survivor story. I don't remember I'm sure anything another, about I don't even, this. I don't have any title on it. <laughs> Just dive into it. Firstly, obviously, this, is, this whole story is in another country, which means I don't know how to say any of the things I'm going to say. I'm going to try not to say or whatever or sorry, I don't know how to say it. I'm just going to fucking guess it and let it go. Power through it. 
That's all I can do. I didn't Google how to name any of these names. Like a flooded road. Just, just go through it and hope your car doesn't stall. And exactly. if it does, this is a really a tr- fucked up story to say that too, because it's oh, literally a flooding. See, I don't, okay. Well, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So Tham Wang Nang Nong is a karstic cave complex beneath Doi Nang Non, a mountain range on the border between Thailand and Myanmar. The system is roughly 6.2 miles long and has many deep recesses. There's narrow passages and tunnels that are winding under hundreds of meters of limestone strata. Since part of the cave system is seasonally flooded, a side advertising against entering the cave during raining season is up there all the time, and it's July to November. It's posted at the entrance. Just felt like that's something we should say. Once more, it's just a fucking sign. At the end of the day, you and I have gone hiking, and we read a sign. Signs are not that intimidating (laughs) until they're like, you'll die. Or it's like a picture of a bear. On Saturday, June 23rd, 2018, a group of 12 boys between the ages of only 11 and 16 from a local junior football team named the Wild Boars um, and also their 25-year-old assistant coach, Ekafon Kanthawong, went missing after exploring the cave. According to early news reports, they planned to have a birthday party in the cave after the football practice and spent a a significant amount of money on food. And then they denied this afterwards on the news conference so i really have no idea like basically they were like oh we're gonna have a kid's birthday party in this cave they spent money on it and that's what they were all going to do then they deny it whenever it all happened so i don't know if maybe that was one one of the kids who didn't go thinking that's what it was and then the news reports got out because this ended up being a global thing mm-hmm. i don't really know why that would have mattered but i think it has something to do with the coach later on So everyone survives this. All of the, like, if you know this story, it's only five years old. Like, you know that they all survive. That's kind of the great part about it. I did not, that's good. There was death along the way, unfortunately. But at the end of it, there's, they all kind of turn on to the assistant coach. Okay. Which we'll talk about more on that, too. The team was stranded in the tunnels by sudden and continuous rainfall after they had entered the cave. They were forced to leave some of the food behind in that moment because they were fleeing the rising water. Essentially, imagine being in a cave and all of a sudden all the like Indiana Jones type shit. Water's flooding it everywhere and they just run to one location that they they were going to be safe. That's terrifying. All of this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like, this fucks with me in every way. Around 7 p.m. that day, the head coach and founder of the team, Noparat Kantharong, uh, checked his phone, found about 20 missed calls from parents of Oof. his ki- of the kids, wondering where they were because they never came home. Noparat dialed assistant coach Ekafon and a number of the boys, but were unable to reach them. He eventually reached um, one of the kids who's Songfon Kantharong. Apparently, either they all have the last name or they're all related, and I just don't know, who's a 13-year-old member of of the team who had said that he had parted ways with the team after practice and that the rest of the boys had entered the Tham Luan caves. That's the part where I'm like, was there a birthday party if half the kids didn't go and only some of them went? Or were they just fucking around and finding out? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they um, all didn't get along. Who knows? The coach raced to the caves, finding abandoned bicycles and their bags near the entrance with water seeping out. Oh. And he was fucking terrified he obviously contacted the authorities of the missing group as soon as he could as you can imagine you're terrified on every level the kids who didn't go the head coach all the pay like they don't know anything yeah and obviously phones are not going to be working i'm going to struggle through this because i'm going to try to list the people who were in the cave so we have Chanin 
Wabarungu gang. I don't know. Sorry. And I'm going to try not to do that on every single one of them, but they're 11. Found them. Okay. You know what? I'm not going to go by their main names. I'm going to go by their informal names because that's easier. So Titan was the first one. He was 11. Then we have Ming, who's 13. Dom, 13. He was the team captain. What's really sad about this one is he died on February 14th of this year at 17 from suicide. Oh, God. And he was the team captain. Ugh. Pong, which is like, I wonder, the, there's suicide is already big among Americans, but it's even larger in like the Asian cultures, especially specifically young, like 16, 17. There was some study done on it as to like why so many 16, 17 year olds were killing themselves. But I'm wondering, too, he killed himself on Valentine's Day in England. I just have questions. I have questions, mm-hmm. but we're going to have to hang them on the hook because mama ain't got time for him. <laughs> then we have Pong, who's 13. Mark, who's 13. Turn, 14. He was rescued on the first mission. Bu, who's 14. Duel, who's 14. He was the only English speaker that was there. Um, and he communicated during the initial rescue party. I'm going to say stateless, and I'll talk to you about it later. Note is the other person's name 15 he's rescued on the first mission nick 15 rescued in the first mission t who's 16 stateless uh knight 16 or 17 he cel- he's the one who celebrated his birthday while in the cave oh and then eek 25 he's the assistant coach and a former monk he's also stateless and he was the ninth to be rescued so the assistant coach and three of the boys had no nationality what right so the head coach noparar nope Nope, Arat explained that they are from tribes in an area that extends across Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, and China. The This region has no clear borders and people are not assigned passports. Their statelessness deprived them of basic benefits and rights, including the possibility to leave the Chiang Rai province. He said, quoting, to get nationality is the biggest hope for the boys, head coach Nopperat had said. In the past, these boys had problems traveling to play matches outside of Chiang Rai because of their na- nationalist status. So essentially, they're born into these tribes where they don't get national, they don't have a nationality. Huh. So imagine that, like you can't travel because no state lets you in. Oh. It's like us not being U.S. Re- residents. We're not a resident of any state. Or any country. So uh, how do you get back in if no one's saying that you belong to them? Oh. Right. Huh. Following the team's rescue, if you're curious, the Thai officials ensured that they all uh, became granted Thai citizenship afterwards, which Good. is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think you should really not have your citizenship. But anyway, British caver Vern Unsworth, who lives in uh, Chiang Rai ha- and has detailed knowledge of the cave complex, was scheduled to actually make a solo venture into the cave on June 24th. So literally the next day, Homeboy was doing a solo export into the cave. Um, he received a call about the missing boys. He advised the Thai government to request assistance from the British Cave Rescue Council. I'm going to re- reference them a lot. BCRC. On June 25th, Thai Navy SEALs divers arrived and began searching the cave. A Thai Navy SEAL said the water was so murky that even with lights on, they could not see where they were going underwater. After continuous rain, which further flooded the entrance, the search, the search had become temporarily interrupted. All right. Keep in mind. These kids and this only 25-year-old are stuck in this cave with no light, no food. Yeah, I'm trying to picture it. They're just sitting on a stone in pitch black. And they can't go anywhere either. Mm -mm. Not without, they can't see anything. Yeah, yeah. They just happen to get to a spot where they weren't drowning. Wow. Yeah. Now, while all of this is happening, it's monsoon season. 
Oh, no. So tons of water flooding into the caves at all times. Mm-hmm. So there's still always the opportunity of drowning, coming up with some kind of infection, starving to death, or the lack of oxygen. God. So they're up against time constraints like crazy. Yeah. On June 27th, three BCRC cave divers arrived with specialist equipment, including hayphone radios, followed by separate teams of open water divers. So essentially, the world found out that this team was there and the world delivered. There wow. are there were more than 10 countries that were involved in this that I saw. Dang. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, it was over 10,000 people. A hundred divers from different countries, yeah. 10,000 volunteers. We'll talk into how they end up getting people out, but all these volunteers that came from all over to help. That's great. I mean, it, sucks, it really but is it's great. It's really beautiful. Yeah. How many of them were down there again? I think it was um, 11 or nine. nine I mean, or it's 11. Fun. I can't remember. It's okay. 12. Like 12 total? 12 people. It's nuts. Yeah. On June 27th, um, I already said that. On the next day, uh, on June 28th, a United States Air Force team, reportedly U.S. US States Air Force pararescuemen from the 320th Special Tactics Squadron, the 31st Rescue Squadron, and the 353rd Special Operations Group, joined them. On the 29th, an Australian Federal Police team of special uh, specialist response group divers had arrived, followed by a Chinese team of divers from the Beijing Peaceland Foundation on, on Sunday, July 1st. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you remember seeing this? Because every single major country got involved pretty much to get these people out. I don't think I, re- I, I don't know why. I don't think I remember any of this. Oh, I watched it on the news. I mean, I mean like amazingly, I, I followed it. It was like the submarine. Yeah. But I also was like a shitty American and waited till the America got. I remember seeing that it happened in Thailand and then not really paying that much attention until mm-hmm. the U.S. came over. And then we obviously started paying. You're going to be blown away by like some other pieces to this. But the meanwhile, they have policemen with sniffer dogs who search the surface above for shaft openings, trying to figure out if they could find alternate like avenues into the caves. Um, they had drones and robots that they were working with. At the end of the day, there wasn't any technology that existed to scan for people that far underground. So it's like a huge, like, it's a huge connection of caves. And you said this earlier. Yes. So, okay. so, so basically, it's like Marengo Cave. And there's like, a ton of different fucking Indiana? caves underneath it. Yeah. yeah. Marengo Cave in Indiana. And all of a sudden, they're flooded in. And they are trying to figure out how to get to you from the outside. But it's a fucking cave. Yeah. And they don't okay. know where you are. Yeah. They just know that you went into this one cave, but there's different sections to the cave. Okay, got it, got it. I'm making sure I'm up to speed. No problem. BCRC divers Richard Stanton and John Volatin advanced through the cave complex, placing diving guidelines supported by Thailand-based Belgian cave diver Ben Raymanence and French diver Maxim Pol. Pola Jaka. Maxim? That's a cool Mm -hmm. name. I like that name. It's M-A-K-S-Y-M, so it feels very Maxim to me. Like every country is literally involved at this point. The search had to be suspended due to the weather as rainfall rainfall increased the flow of water in the cave where the divers were battling strong currents and poor visibility. So the whole time they're just trying not to die as well. Yeah. They resumed on July 2nd after the weather got better. The 12 boys and the coach were discovered at approximately 2,200 hours by Stanton and Volatin only because of, um, oh, sorry, also overseen from the outside by BCRs. I feel like I have to give everyone their praise. So also uh, diver Robert Harper. The boys and the coach were found on a narrow rock shelf about 1,300 feet beyond the Patia Beach chamber. Volatin had been placing guidelines in the cave to assist others in finding out how to get out. And then he swam to the surface 
and found the group on accident while he was wow. trying to place the the cord, if you will, to figure out how to get out where they were going. Wow. He said he could smell them before he saw them. Oh. Oof. And I was like, hmm. It had been a while, but how I How long was it at this point? It, I'll get there. Two okay. seconds. Well, it, okay. Um, the ledge where they were found is about 2.5 miles from the cave entrance. A video of the encounter showing the boys and their interactions with the divers was on Facebook from the, the Thai Navy SEALs. They ended up showing it. And it, they had been stuck from June 23rd to July 2nd. Whoa. So 10 days in complete darkness. Without any food, I don't think. I'm pretty sure they had no food. God. Um, if they did, it was probably a very tiny amount that they had grabbed or something if they really were having that party in, in the cave. Yeah. Um, not to mention you can't see. So, like, you're blind. Oh, my God. Out of nowhere for 10 days. Yeah. And so, obviously, they're stuck, like, shitting in some area, but I would have guessed just off in the water. I don't know. At some point, you kind of stop shitting when you haven't had any food. So I would there imagine, is that too. yeah. Former... Chiang Rang, uh, pro- provincial governor Narasaka Osatana Korn, who was in charge of the rescue work, said, We found them safe, but the operation isn't over. I'm going to kind of move through some of these because they're going to talk a lot about different chambers. And for the sake of time, we'll just kind of kind of go into it. On July 3rd, the trapped group was joined by three Thai Navy SEALs who supported them until the rescue. So ten day it took eight to ten days to essentially find him, and it still takes them like ten days to get him out. Oh God! So these other people come and stay with them; they never leave. Well, at least they go they have, into that would make you feel safer. But still, I'd be like, "Cool, can we get it?" How well, about- when am I going to run out of air? I and didn't even think about people that. People coming in there, are you going to be breathing up the rest of our yeah. oxygen? Don't mouth breathe, Carl. Right? I need that. The seals included Thai Army doctor. Pak Laharishan of the 3rd Medical Battalion who had completed his Navy SEALs course. They were providing health checks and treatment and keeping the boys entertained so that none of those who were trapped were in serious condition. So they were all relatively in, in good health. That's good. They've been fed with easy-to-digest, high-energy food with vitamins and minerals under the supervision of a doctor. And so a video made by the rescuers and shared a few hours later showed all 12 boys and their coach introducing themselves and stating their age. Wow. Wrapped in emergency blankets and appealing frail, they all said hello to the outside world, which was Sawadi Krap. <laughs> I don't know. Each boy said with their palms together in a way, obviously, the Thai greeting. A second um, video shows them all getting treatment. The situation was already complex and obviously going to be a difficult rescue. But let's add to the fact that some of the boys couldn't swim either. So that's that makes me think of how horrifying all of this was for there's about three of the kids who could not swim. And so when the water was coming in, it was like a terrible situation. Oh um, they did find out the army doctor noticed that they did try to dig their way out of the cave. So for all those days that they didn't know if anyone was even going to fucking find them because no one knew where they were, really. Yeah. Um, they were trying to chisel their way out and they made it about 16 feet deep. Wow. I mean, di- why not, though? I mean, try, what else are you, you going to do? You don't have any other time. Like, there's sit, nothing else for you to do. Just sit there and die? Like, not. I mean, good for yeah. them for trying. What else can you do? Right. Agreed. BCRC, because none of them could have fucking just dove in the water and tried to find their way out. That was impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no possible way to that. And they were all football players, right? Yeah. So, like, That's probably soccer and well, tie. Yeah. But at least, well, athletes. So they were all athletes, too. Well, least, 11-year-old so. athletes. Yeah. Still. BCRC diver Jason Mallison offered the boys and coach an opportunity to send messages to their relatives using wet notepads. I didn't know that they had like wet notepads, but that's very cool. Ooh. 
Many of the notes said that they were safe, reassured their family members that everything was fine, and included words of love, reassurance, and encouragement. That's cute. Sweet little babies. I was also thinking, too, like, to be the to be the 25-year-old assistant coach who is in charge of these 11 other kids' lives, and you're only 25. It's a lot of... I was barely in charge of my own life at 25. I mean, I feel that, and I get that. Like, I barely am now. <laughs> you're pretty much in charge of it. <laughs> I was like, I feel very in charge of my life, but I, I get that. Yeah. Um, a logistics camp was established at the cave entrance, which accommodated hundreds of volunteers and journalists, as well as other rescue workers. They were divided into different zones. An estimated 10,000 people contributed to the rescue effort. That's insane. Including more than 100 divers, representatives from about 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, and numerous volunteers. Equipment included 10 police helicopters, 7 police ambulances, and more than 700 diving cylinders, of which more than 500 were in the cave at any time, while another 200 were in the queue to be refilled. More than a billion liters of water, the equivalent to 400 Olympic-sized swimming pools, was removed from the caves. Whoa! All right. So we mentioned there's a, a ton of different challenges that they were kind of facing here. The route that had them that had several flooded sections. Some had the strong currents. There was zero visibility. There were also extremely narrow parts in it. So the smallest was measuring only 15 inches by 28 inches. No. To get through. No. Foster mm-hmm. phobia. Yeah. The journey through the cave to the boys took six hours against the current and five hours to exit with the current, even for experienced divers. This part made made me like literally fucking internally panic. Six hours? Six hours. And they had to go through the dark. In the water. No, no, no. Underwater. Nope. On rocks. That's nuts. Tiny little crevices. From the outset, rescue workers battled rising water levels. In an effort to drain the cave, a stone uh, diversion dam was built upstream, and systems were installed to pump water out of the cave and divert flows that were entering it. On July 4th, it was estimated that the pumps were removing 420,000 U.S. US gallons an hour from the cave. Which sadly ruined a lot of nearby farm fields in the process. I was wondering where the water went. Apparently to kill their crops, sadly. They also got very lucky at one point that, like, apparently there was a spell of unseasonably dry weather. They were expecting a monsoon, and, like, the heavy forecast for July 8th was expected to, like, halt all of it. And they were even worried that there was a chance that they'd have to leave them in there until October. (gasps) Because the weather was getting so bad. God. Yeah. On July 6th, though, the oxygen level in the cave was detected to have dropped, raising fears that the boys might develop hypoxia if they remained for a prolonged time. Hypoxia is a state in which oxygen is not available in, su- in sufficient amounts at the tissue level to maintain adequate homeostasis. This can result from inadequate oxygen delivery to the tissues, either due to low blood supply or low oxygen content in the blood, which is hot hypoxia. Hypoxia. Meow. Hypox meow. By July 8th, the oxygen level was measured to be 15%. The level needed to maintain normal body level and function is 19.5 to 23.5%. So because of that, the engineers attempted to install an air supply line to the boys. And then they were like, this is impractical. There's a lot of things like they had to build a lot of shit, rip a lot of shit up. And how, use all the equipment in the world to get these fucking kids out. Yeah. And then I, I guess like Elon Musk had created a small submarine that would fit 
all the parameters in like 10 days. This motherfucker. Yeah. And it, he ended up flying there to like get it to them. And then they ended up getting the kids out. So, whoa. It wasn't so That's used. one good thing he did. <laughs> um, as the crisis unfolded, here were the main options. Okay. okay. Wait until the end of the monsoon season. So, October. With divers providing food and water. Yeah. Teach the group basic diving skills. So, somehow have these little kids become divers. Three, find an alternative entrance to the cave, which could allow for an easier escape. One shaft was discovered that went down 900 meters, so maybe there's a chance. Drill a rescue shaft. More than 100 shafts were bored into the soft limestone, but not suitable locations. They couldn't find a location. Build an oxygen line. Build a telephone wire to communicate. Sure. Obviously, they had to go essentially with the diving option. Yeah. So I'm going to try to scroll through here and scroll through in my head on this to see how how they were able to do it. They decided at one point that they were going to uh, start teaching the boys those diving skills to enable them to make the journey. And they built up a mock-up of a tight passage with chairs and the divers practiced with local boys in a swimming pool oh. to try to figure out the Thai Navy SEALs and the U.S. Air Force experts tried to like figure out how they could have the kids dive back out with them. Unfortunately, someone did perish in all of this um, during the rescue mission. On July 5th at 8.37 p.m., Saman Kunan, born on December 23rd of 1980, he was only 37 years old, he was a former Thai Navy SEAL, made a dive from Chamber 3 to the T-junction close to uh, Pattaya Beach to to deliver three of the air tanks. During his return, he lost consciousness underwater. His dive buddy attempted CPR without success. He was brought to Chamber 3 where he was attempted CPR again but he could not be resuscitated and he was pronounced dead at 1 a.m. on July 6th. He was a member of the Thai Navy SEALs Class 30. He had left the SEALs in 2006 at the rank of Petty Officer First Class and was working in security at the airport when he volunteered to assist in in the cave rescue. He was uh, promoted to lieutenant commander by the commander-in-chief of the Royal Thai Navy, which was an unprecedented rise of seven ranks. He also had a funeral, which was attended by the Thai royal family on wow. July 14th. He ended up getting a memorial statue. Like, a lot happened for him. Good. It was very sad that he he passed away. But then another rescue diver um, and Thai Navy SEAL, Barut Pakabara, he died the following year from septic shock after acquiring an unspecified latent blood infection during the rescue operation. Oh, no. Sadly, he passed away as well, but there is not nearly enough fanfare for him really Mm -hmm. that's sad i'm gonna guess maybe he had a cut and went into the water and got a weird blood or not a weird a rare blood disease yeah on the morning of july 8th officials instructed the media and all non-essential personnel around the cave entrance to clear the area because they had to have a rescue operation right there the monsoon rains were expected to come in later that week and that would flood the cave completely out until october wow so it was either we do it right now or we don't do it at all. Yeah. For the first part of the extraction, 18 rescue divers consisting of 13 international cave divers and five Thai Navy SEALs were sent into the caves to retrieve the boys, with one diver to accompany each each boy on the dive out. The international cave diving team was led by four British divers, John Volanthan, Richard Stanton, uh, Jason Mallison, and Chris Jewell. And two Australians, Richard Harris, and physician specializing in anesthesia, and Craig Challen. 
And then an Irishman, Jim Warney, became an additional lead diver on the final day of the rescue to bring back the assistant coach, who obviously stayed at the end. The lead diver's portion of the journey would stretch over one kilometer, so a little under a mile, going through submerged routes while being supported by 90 Thai and foreign divers at various points performing medical checkups, resupplying the air tanks, and then other emergency roles. So imagine, you're, as they try to get out of this cave, there's so much going on that there's hundreds to probably thousands of volunteers in the cave on the way out to do checkup points. Oh, wow. So you have, you're going to essentially bring the people up, redo the tanks in these different chambers, bring them back down to get them out. Wow. Very complex. Yeah. Sounds like it. Uh, there were conflicting reports that the boys were rescued. This, get ready. There were conflicting reports that the boys were rescued with the weakest first or strongest first. In fact, the order of which boy, the order was which boy had volunteered first. That's what I was thinking. I was wondering, like, how did they pick? Because, like, if you're in a group, and I'm like, what? Well, he get? Why? Why she get to go? Yeah. Because we, what if something happens? What if? Like, what if I die on the way? Uh-huh. Who knows? Yeah. I talked to Doctor Harris. Everyone was strong, and no one was sick. Says Ekafon, who is the coach. Everybody had a strong mental state. Dr. Harris said there's no preference. The team decided as a group that the boys who lived the farthest away should leave first. Ekafon also stated in their 18th July press conference, not realizing at the time that their story had garnered global media attention. They had no idea how many people were trying to get them out. In their mind, it was the three guys and whatever divers had come in. He goes, we were thinking when we get out of the cave, we would have to ride our bicycles home. Oh. So the person who lived the furthest away should be able to get out first so that they can go out and tell everyone that they were okay. That's so cute. And so sad. It is very sad, but it's very sweet. To, like, I don't know. It's just like, little... oh, I have to drive the furthest. Innocent. So you go for You're in Newburgh. Yeah, you, you're, you get out you're first. farther than me. You Thinking go. that whenever they get out, they were going to ride their bicycles home. You've been in a cave for like 20 something days. Yeah. You haven't even seen sunlight. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were dressed in a wetsuit, a buoyancy jacket, harness, and a positive pressure full face mask. Harris, are you ready for this? Mm-mm. This is the part that fucking blew me away. Okay. So Harris administered the anesthetic ketamine to the boys before the journey, rendering them fully unconscious. This was to prevent them from panicking on the journey and possibly killing themselves or their diver. So they knocked them out. Mm-hmm. They knocked them all out. They knocked them all out. So they were also given an anti-anxiety drug, um, alprazolam, and the drug antropine to steady their heart rates and reduce saliva production so they wouldn't choke. So they're knocked out and they're given an anti-anxiety drug. Yeah. So a cylinder with 80% oxygen was clipped to their front, a handle attached to their back, and they were tethered to a diver in case they were lost because of the poor visibility. The rescue divers described each child as a package. And so they were a package that they were delivering. The Thai government provided Harris and two medical assistants with dip- diplomatic immunity in case something with- went wrong. So I was like, what does that mean? Basically, it meant if somebody dies, either a kid or a diver or the coach or whatever on the way, mm-hmm. they're not going to be persecuted against the other law because there's so many countries involved. Oh, God. So it. take the Thai part away if a UK diver accidentally dies and they blame another UK diver for it or another diver not a UK diver mm-hmm. that then they're not going to be prosecuted under the England law or Got whatever it. it is. That makes sense. Yeah. The anesthetic lasted uh, between 45 minutes to an hour. 
requiring divers who Harris had trained to administer top-up ketamine injections during the three-hour journey. What's top-up? To top up their meds. Oh. So imagine you're a diver, you have a package, a young little child, sweet baby angel who probably has not done a single thing wrong yet in their life besides maybe still a candy bar. Yeah. You're taking them through here and the whole time you're watching all of their levels while watching your own levels. Then you have to basically pick them up, put them on the side of a cliff in a cave. Yeah. Take off and inject more yeah. meds into them to now keep them I, knocked out. Now I get why they gave them the anti-anxiety medication because if they woke up and they were knocked out and you're being dragged, like you wouldn't, yeah. you might not know and you might wake up and And flip, to slow their heart rate so they don't shit. panic out and use up all their oxygen all either. All that too, yeah. There's so many, it's unbelievable. That's why I'm moving parts. Yeah. Uh, the boys were maneuvered out by the swimming divers who held onto their back or chest with each boy on either the right or the, right or the left side of the diver, depending on the guideline. In very narrow spots, divers pushed the boys from behind. The divers navigated them through tight passages carefully to avoid dislodging their face mask against the rock, which would kill them. Yeah. And not only that, but they kept their heads higher than the boys so that in poor visibility, the divers would hit their heads against the rocks first. Oof. The boys were then transported on a drag stretcher over 660 feet of rocks and sand hills. Craig Challen assessed them and their dive gear was put back on before they were resubmerged for the next section. So you'd have to come out of water, dot, like stretcher them through all of these other, then go back into the water. Oh, man. They knew that the one of the keys that they knew that the boys were still breathing was their exhaust bubbles were like coming through and they, you could see them and feel them. After being delivered by the divers into the staging base in chamber three, the boys were then passed along a daisy chain by hundreds of rescuers stationed along the treacherous path of the cave. The boys wrapped in the sketch stretchers would alternately be carried slid and zip lined over a complex network of pulleys installed by none other than rock climbers who came <laughs> to do this. Many areas from Chamber 3 to the entrance of the cane were still partially submerged, and rescuers describe having to transport the boys over slippery rocks and through muddy water for hours. Whoa. The journey from Chamber 3 to the cave entrance took about four to five hours initially. Just a portion of it. Yeah. But the, it was reduced to less than an hour after a week of draining and clearing the mud path using the shovels. The authorities warned that extracting everyone would take several days because crews had to replace air tanks, gear, and other supplies, requiring 10 to 20 hours between each run. Yeah. Shortly after 19 o'clock... 1900 hours. <laughs> Local officials said that two boys had been rescued and taken to um, the hospital shortly after two more boys exited the cave and were assessed by medical officials. Low water levels had reduced the time required for the rescue. Thank goodness. Um, and then it also had improved weather conditions, which is awesome. They also created a, they built um, a weir outside of the cave to help control the water. A weir is a low dam built across a river to raise the level of water upstream to regulate the flow. That's, I googled a lot of words. Yeah. Can you imagine how many things were built? That's within a very short amount of time. Yeah. It's un, it's this is one of those stories where I'm like I can't even fucking believe that this happened. Yeah. On July 9th, uh four more boys were rescued from the cave. On the te on the 10th of July, the last four boys and their coach were rescued from the cave. Experience had helped to streamline the rescue procedure, so the total time to extract a boy was reduced from three hours on the first day to just over two hours on the final day, allowing four boys and the coach to be rescued. The three Thai Navy SEALs and the Army doctor who had stayed with the boys the entire time were the last to dive out. Three of these divers made it to Chamber 3, joining waiting rescuers when the pump shut off. 
for an uncertain reason, and it's likely one of the pipes burst. So water levels in Chamber 3 start to rise, which would have cut off rescuers' access to Chamber 2 and Chamber 1 and the entrance to the cave. All of a sudden, a water pipe burst and the main pump stopped working, one of the divers said. We really had to run from the third chamber to the entrance because the water level was rising very quickly. Every 10 minutes, about 20 inches of water had come in. Oh, my. This forced up to 100 rescuers that were still in a portion of the cave to evacuate in a hurry. They left all the rescue equipment. They had to just run. Yeah. So basically imagine they're in the very last minutes of it. The pipes bust and every all the water starts to fill up and there's now all the rescuers are still stuck. Yeah. Um, what happens? <laughs> right. The rescuers managed to rush to the cave exit in under an hour. So how these people fucking sprinted to where they sprinted to, they were. A number of news outlets reported. Oh, So basically everyone got out. Yeah. So pumps broke. All the water started coming in. Everyone made it out. Good. Yeah. That's um, nuts. Now, a number of news outlets reported on the role of Coach Ekafon during the rescue. The coach had previously, as I mentioned, been a Buddhist monk. And guess what he did during it? What? He did guided meditations for the children. Aww. He passed on a message in which he apologized for putting the children in danger. More kind of comes from this because at the end of the day, everyone wants to blame somebody. Yeah. I'm going to pause on the recovery part and come back to it. Um, but they wanted to press negligence charges against the coach for putting the team in danger. A number of lawyers stated that the, co- the coach would probably not face criminal charges since the Thai law uh, takes into consideration whether a person has malicious intent or not. No, now, he's when, going to have a party, right? Right. At, at the end of the day, he, yeah. Like, okay, so first one of the cavers, Vern Unsworth, he was like, Nobody's to blame, not the coach, not the boys. They were just very unlucky. It wasn't just the rain that day. The mountain is like a sponge, and waters from earlier rain were raising the levels. Unsworth said that that he himself had been planning to make that solo venture the very next day, day, and he had no idea that that would have happened. Yeah. So he's like, there's no one to blame. Now, when asked if Ekafon should be held legally responsible for negligence, um, Mongfon Boonpiam, which is the father of a 12-year-old boy, Mongkon, who uh, was there— Mm-hmm. He goes, we would never do that. The boys love their coach, and we as parents don't want it either. Coach Eek has been good to my boy, and now I hear how he gave them hope and kept them calm for so many days without food. I have great admiration for him. Yeah, as they all, like, oh, her, I would imagine they should. You another know? Uh, father of a, of one of the 11-year-old old boys said that he was touched by the actions of the team's coach. Without him, he doesn't know how the kids would have survived. I mean, they're young, so yeah. Blame him. Yep. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that he had monk training or whatever they call it. Monk he, school. He graduated <laughs> monk school. Top of his monk class. I don't know. It's a but lot they, of work to be a monk. I'm assuming. So, like, he, he probably was very trained and skilled and... I don't, I don't think he was trained or skilled, at, and he was just a good guy but who, yeah, who just, knew mindfulness and knew how to talk the kids down. But I feel like had like some of the traits would help you in that kind of situation. Oh, 100%. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the day, like, who was it that said it? Prime Minister uh, Prout Chanocha said that the emphasis should be on the rescue and the recovery of the team and that they need to not rush to judgment and, like, don't come after the coach. Yeah. Because everyone wanted to fucking be a cunt. At the end of the day, he no no like charges were pressed. Like keyboard warriors wanted to be yeah. like the, um, it sounds the, like the parents. were It was okay. global, yeah. right? So of course people are gonna be like, who can we blame? Because you have to blame someone. They just people just they're blaming get an adult for the fact that he went into a cave where there was a sign. Uh, yeah, whatever. I agree. Yeah, let's talk about their recovery. Okay. 
Uh, Thai authorities said that the rescued boys were able to eat rice porridge. Mm. But more <laughs> complex foods would be withheld for 10 days. The Thai health ministry said the boys lost an average of 4.4 pounds each, yeah. which is not that bad. What was it? I don't know how many days it was. How many days total? How many days total like it was? Like 20-something? I think it was like 20-something. I should know that. 23? I think maybe 23. I'm going to say 23. We'll just, yeah. Well, I didn't do ro- the math. Roll them dice. I'm not mathing today. Yeah, July 8th. It was June 23rd to July 8th. That's when many they started days. getting out. Yes. Right, July 8th or 9th. Yeah. Okay. Any hooser. But they were all in good condition. The boys were quarantined while health workers determined whether they had caught any infectious diseases. Yeah. And they were expected to remain hospitalized for at least a week. Uh, due to the prolonged stay in the damp cave environment, officials were worried about potential infections such as histoplasmosis or leptospirosis. Well, those One are going to be is, my guesses. I was... Totally my concern. I was going to say that, yeah. One is a fungal infection, and the other is a blood infection. That's all I'm providing. I Googled both of them. was like, blood, fungal. Got it. Parents of the team members initially visited looking through a window, which that must have been really hard. They were away from their kids for so long, too. Thinking their kids are dead, and then... Well, eight days, they probably thought they were dead, and then realizing how hard it was going to be to get them out. I'm sure they all mourned the loss of their kids before they ever got them back. At least that's what I would do as like a overly logical brain pusher of heart emotions. I would 100% mourn the loss. (laughs) Pusher of heart emotions. Yes. Um, but if the lab results ended up being negative, they were allowed to visit in person, but they had to wear a medical gown, face mask, and hair cap and all that shit. Yeah. The boy, the boys wore sunglasses as a precaution while their eyes adjusted to daylight. Uh, yeah, you think. Yeah. They fucking come out being like, a lizard. Right? Well, when you go, just think about if you go to the movies during the day, and then you come out, you're like, ah, Like, just, yeah. and that's for like two hours. We go watch Shrek 3, come out, burning corneas. Yeah. 20, 23 days. Yeah, I keep saying that day number, and I. We're just gonna say it. I'm gonna do it. 23 June 28, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. Has 30 days. 30 days. 23, 7. To like 16, 18, 7, 15. 15. Is it 15 days? It was July 8th or 9th. When they got out. <laughs> Math and facts. 7 plus 8. Is 15. Okay. So like 15 to 16 days. Cause they, well, because they got out of different days. I know. I know. I was like, do you know? Yeah, you told me. I think, yeah, I think it took over two days. But if we take out like the coach and the rescuers. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, detailed tests of their eyes, nutrition, mental health, and blood were carried out. And the health ministry physician said that all boys showed an increase in white blood cells. So preventative antibiotic doses were given to the entire team. And some observers, primarily in um, Western media, as I said, questioned about the coach, and they can all eat a fat dick. Yeah. Wow. Do you like how I just put that? They can all eat a fat dick, and we're done. <laughs> that is the story of the cave rescue. I throw my papers everywhere, and I'm like, I don't know where the... You look like that gif that's like, fuck this, fuck that. That's that guy at his desk with the glasses on. He just flings stuff everywhere like a cat. Like a cat. That's what, like all your papers are all askew. Oh, and then here's my, like they are. a tornado came through here. Um, just so you know, there are a million. As I was like reading this, I was like, oh my God, there has to be a thousand different stories on this because this is the most riveting fucking thing in the world. Like to be like, oh my God, how many complex ways could they try to get in there? Yeah. How many things did they try to do that didn't work? How much testing they were doing? I mean, they had fucking Navy SEALs up in the freaking high school swimming pool. With yeah. chairs, trying to figure out how to like buoy and move their way through these things. Yeah. So I, 
I don't even know. I, and then the fact that right whenever it's they get all the kids out, then the pipes burst, and now they're trying to like sprint all the rescuers out. Definitely. Uh, like tearjerker and trying to figure that out but there's multiple movies um, I was going to ask that the two big ones that I saw was 13 Lives and a 2020 mo- 2022 movie that just came out because they did require I remember this part when I was watching it mm-hmm. um, whenever they came out what did they say that you had to wait five years that's usually the requirement is five years to do like an actual movie they did a documentary on it a few years ago I don't remember that one but 2022 was five years later and so they came out with 13 lives and then they also did the trapped 13 and that's on Netflix (laughs) and then there's a whole bunch of different other documentaries about it too is the trapped 13 a documentary or like a I don't know (laughs) I think it is a documentary (laughs) I don't know where my phone is oh there it is I don't know I think it's a documentary wow if it's Netflix it feels very documentary to me that's okay well, I job. definitely want to see the movie. I'm going to do that this weekend since yeah. it's like a more chill. Yeah. Well, that was a. Yeah. New year, new you. New, yeah. new survivor story. Yeah. I needed one. Yeah. I was really tired of hearing about people getting killed. Well, speaking of which. Actually, it's, it's one thing to hear the story. It's a whole other thing to do all the research. And then you actually like I, I've listened to a million podcasts on like true crime. And I'm like, it's so riveting to hear the story. But it really fucking sucks to be the person to put together the story. Mm-hmm. To be honest, our friends. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll save mine for next time. Um, is it because we're at 54 minutes? Oh, we're not doing a two-hour oh. episode? No? Where's your, where's your episode? <laughs> okay. I mean, here. Hello, girls dash ladies. Me and my partner. <laughs> That's my story. Me and Josh are going to write a story about sucking on Audis or whatever he said. <laughs> yes. That'd be riveting. Yeah. You know what else would be riveting? What? Getting the hell out of here. <laughs> let's, go. Good, let's go let's go also it would be riveting if everybody subscribed oh yes please we please can you do that a lot of fun things coming up for 2024 well we just had a really big sass holy meeting we did an official official one with a what do you call it a pad folio uh, pen to paper at the end of the day we put our goals pen to paper guys this is the time when we need to all be looking into the future what we want to achieve and then you know, going after it. And so we actually sat down and we put pen to paper in my pad folio, yes, <laughs> on what we wanted to achieve this year. And we want to do a lot, which means a lot's going to happen. We need, that means we need all of you. Yes. <laughs> um, one really exciting thing that should be popping off sooner rather than later that we've all talked about. I just want to say Heather did a lot of digging and she uh, had started a merch store and we were talking about launching it a million times and it's because she then found a better merch experience. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we don't want to be giving you some Timu level shit. We're trying to give you some good shit (laughs) at an affordable price because at the end of the day, no one wants to spend $40 on a hoodie. Ain't nobody want to do that. Yeah. Watch our our hoodie comes out. I mean, it is going to be like not 20 as I, I don't know when the last time I bought a twenty dollar hoodie. Sam's I do gone. on Timo. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about that. Hopefully, we'll hopefully that'll that'll launch at the end of January. So yeah, no matter what, we that's have a our hard deadline. So even if it's a pair of socks and a t-shirt, y'all are gonna get some sassel shit. So yes, there you do go. Buy it for your grandma. Mine, yeah. mine's gonna get it. So that's wonderful. I had to buy it for her. She doesn't have the internet. <laughs> we were up there in Michigan, and my little cousin goes. Grandma, what's your Wi-Fi password? She goes, what? Go outside. (laughs) That's. He goes, what? Is it outside? (laughs) He didn't understand how she didn't have Wi-Fi at her house. I mean, I get that. That's a good password. Yeah. 
for her not having Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just like, I'm going to go change mine. <laughs> to go outside. It's like Clean Snake 808 or whatever weird, creepy shit they put. Clean Snake. Yeah, that was our one from the fucking place. Clean I Snake. I Travis and 808. Jade. Yeah, like they were just like, Clean Travis and Jade like, no, ours is Big Johnson. That's our stupid Wi-Fi. We're trash. All right. <laughs> Anyway, um, we love you guys so much. We hope you have a wonderful day. We can't wait to talk to you again. <laughs> okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye. Theodore, can I put that down?